The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, everybody. This morning's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 17 through 27. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold, your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. Thanks for the reading of God's word. Hey, I want to give a quick shout out to Pastor Artez this morning. He, he not only preached my sermon to the kids, he also taught Sunday school this morning. And so, so give a quick shout out to you, man. Your labor is not in vain, brother. Your labor is not in vain. And I'm just trying to say that ahead of time because he did steal all of my thunder. I might have to um, use the illustration. So remember that receipt at the end of this sermon. <laughs> but, but as we approach God's word, let's um, just steady our hearts and go before the Lord. Just ask him to um, bless this time and, and prepare our hearts and minds to receive his word. Dear God, I pray that as we hear your word preached, that we see you, Christ Jesus, for who you are, the ruling, reigning Savior who does love and care for us. Lord, I pray that you be lifted high. I pray, Lord, that you help me as I feel weak right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Amen. So I do want to start off with confession. I do feel tired. Daylight saving time really knocked me out. My, me and my wife and family was, was traveling all weekend, and we got home last night at 11.30, and I looked at Jay and said, it's really 12.30 right now, so let's just put phones down and go to bed. So I, I usually don't ask you to, to help me to, to give feedback, but, but I really believe it would, it would encourage me um, um, as I try to encourage you, all right? Amen. Oh, okay, there we go, right there. Amen, amen, amen. Um, but I would like to tag this message, if you let me, the love of a suffering king. The love of a suffering king. Because there is something attractive, even life-giving, when a person in a high place choose to sit in a low place. There is something inviting, life-giving when a majestic royal king chooses to suffer with the common man. This is the story of, of King Leonidas. Maybe you've seen the movie 300. Um, I'm going to warn you that 300 does um, exaggerate the truth a little bit. But the truth is that King Leonidas and his um, Spartan nation was, was um, being trying to be taken over by the Persian Empire. And King Leonidas stood up with 300 Spartan men and stood to the fight and defend his country against thousands upon thousands of men. And what I love about King Leonidas is that he as king didn't just sit in his throne and, and command his soldiers, his, these 300 men, to go out and fight and protect him. He didn't just give some fancy motivational speech and say, Fight for me, die for me, suffer for me. No, King Leonidas picked up his shield and his spear, and he led the way, leading them into battle. And one of my favorite scenes from the movie is when this soldier got tired. He um, was fighting. He got discouraged. He wanted to give up, but then he looked up and saw his king up ahead of him fighting. And this soldier smiled, picked up his sword, and kept fighting because it's something life-giving about seeing a king, a person in a high place choosing to suffer with you. Is this not why we still celebrate the great Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.? We don't celebrate him. And I was in Chattanooga last weekend, and it was a whole boulevard named after Martin Luther King. And I was like, does every city have a street named after Dr. King? And we all celebrate this man, not because he was some eloquent speaker, not because he was um, a Morehouse man and got his Ph.D. from from Boston College, not because he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. No, we celebrate Dr. King because he, even though he was the face of the civil rights movement, he led walking the streets with the common man. He didn't just stand on the podium with the mic, but he was arrested 29 times with the people. It's something encouraging and attractive when we see a leader suffer with their people. And I'm here this morning to tell you that this is the story of the cross of Jesus. 
Jesus wasn't just a high civil rights leader. He wasn't even the king of a small nation. He, he wasn't even the, the, the president of the United States of America. No, Jesus is so much more. Because Jesus is actually the king of kings, the God who sits outside of time, who directs every moving piece in this universe. Jesus is the artist of the heavenly skies that the moon and stars show the work of his fingers. He is the great creator who taught the eagle to soar and taught the dolphins how to skip through the stormy sea. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is more majestic than we can understand. He is more holy than we can comprehend. Jesus is the name above every name that demons tremble at the sound of his name. He is so holy and majestic that even heavenly beings have to cover their face in their presence. But yet, because of his love, Jesus chose to suffer, get this, not only with us, but for us. This sets Jesus apart from any other suffering leader that we can think of. But in comparison, Dr. King, yes, he suffered with the people, but Dr. King was suffering to benefit something for himself. He was also fighting for his own civil rights. But Jesus does not fight to gain something for himself. Jesus fights to gain something for you. In a total selfless act of love, he emptied himself leaving heaven and taking on flesh, being born of a woman, yet without sin, being born to two struggling teenage parents who didn't even have a home to bring him into. Again, I say there is something desirable about a leader who not only suffers alongside, but for. And this love caused Jesus to suffer. And as we approach this text this morning, I want us to slow down to feel the weight of this moment right now. In a couple of weeks, we have what? Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And this is the Sunday that is the most attended Sunday out of the year um, 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 globally. And, and we all love Easter Sunday because it's a what? It's an empty tomb. We have won victory is here, but right now we are sitting here at the cross. And I want to argue that I'm sure if we're honest that our day-to-day -day lives often feel more like the cross on Friday than the empty tomb on Sunday. I know none of us maybe are worried about suffering the death of a literal cross, but sometimes our situations and circumstances in life are so emotionally and mentally heavy that we feel the burden of this cross. As we pray for our city, as we come to Memphis, work in this city, we see teachers, leaders, nonprofits, and churches work relentlessly to change this this city change our community, but we don't see the fruit always. That is a cross to carry. Battling through mental and physical sicknesses, that is a cross to carry. Having to live with the loss of that loved one year after year, day after day is a cross to carry. Your mother not being able to meet your child, her grandchildren is a cross to carry. Sometimes just a daily battle through loneliness and depression is the cross to carry. And what happens as we carry these crosses over time, fatigue, doubt, and apathy begins to set in. Thoughts of giving up or even losing faith in God arise because we feel so emotionally and mentally tired. 
suffering. Thoughts of walking out on our marriage, quitting our jobs, losing faith because the cross is so heavy and God seems so far and quiet. But as we look at the cross this morning, we find strength to keep going. We find comfort in our suffering and hope in dark times because the cross is the picture of the Most High God displaying his everlasting love and his eternal commitment to you. There's something attractive about a God who sits high but will come down low and suffer with his people. And even though the cross is an instrument invented by man to produce death, God uses this instrument to produce life in you and me. And this is the good news this morning. The main idea is that Jesus' suffering on the cross is evidence that he is a present, loving, and sovereign king. The cross. Look no further for evidence. So what do we do with this? Our main application is that in our times of suffering, look up at the cross of Jesus to find the strength and comfort needed to endure. And this leads us to our first, our, our first major thought this morning is this. Jesus carried the cross and commands those who follow him to carry one too. Jesus carried the cross, and he commands those who follow him to carry one. To look again at verse 17 with me. So they took Jesus and went out, and Jesus bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and went and with him two others. So last week, if you were here, you heard Pastor Richard detail the torture and the physical suffering even before the cross that Jesus went through. And just to give you a quick recap, Jesus was chilling in the garden, not bothering anybody, and he was approached by a group of Roman soldiers to be arrested. And this group led him to the um, chief priests of the Jews. And here Jesus was questioned and actually physically assaulted. And this group of Jewish men led him to Pilate, who is the, who is the governor of this territory. He has the power to, to condemn or free Jesus. And they bring Jesus to, this, to, to Pilate, and Pilate questions him. And Pilate says, we don't, I don't see any fault with this man, but to uh, appease y'all so y'all can get out of my face, I'm going to beat Jesus as well. Jesus gets beaten. He, he, he is scorched. He is flawed. Um, um, one commentator says this is actually called the half death because they literally beat you to the point where you are almost dead. That many people didn't, didn't survive even the physical torture. But we always think about the physical torture. What about the emotional and mental suffering that Jesus went through in this moment? The fact that Judas, who was actually one of his close friends, who actually was someone he trusted with his money, um, Judas, his close friend, betrayed him with a kiss. Emotional suffering, emotional pain, the emotional pain of being left alone. All those who you trust have now deserted you. And now after all of this suffering, he is given over to be crucified. And he was... At this point, it says he, was, he took up his cross. This cross was the, was the horizontal beam of the cross that he was forced after being beaten 
to carry this 100-pound plank of wood up a hill called the place of a skull, Golgotha. Jesus carried a cross. But what's interesting is that before Jesus carried a cross, Jesus said these words back in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus commands those who follow him to pick up their cross and follow him. Now, don't get caught up by the word hate. Jesus does use the word hate. Jesus is not saying you need to hate your wife. Um, he is not saying you need to hate your kids or your parents. What he is saying is in comparison to your love and devotion for me, it should look like you hate your own life. Jesus is, is setting the standard saying, I know that it's easy to try to hold on to your kids and hold on to me. It's easy to try to hold on to your um, life and hold on to following me. He says, no, if you really want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross, this instrument of death, die to your old ways and come and follow me. And I know many of you maybe have picked up your cross years ago, and you chose to follow Jesus. But the truth is, as years go by, there are always new things coming up in our life that we continually have to pick up our cross and die to. I know some of you literally in this church has have the next 10 years of your life planned out. I have talked to you. I'm not like that. Some of y'all legitimately have the next 10 years of your life planned out. So for you, picking up your cross is so hard and scary because it might actually mean that you have to let go of your plan. Picking up your cross, you have worked so hard to accumulate this certain level of lifestyle, this certain level of riches and pleasure that you worked hard for, that you earned. And it's nothing wrong with that, but picking up your cross and following Jesus may actually be letting some of that go. It may be choosing a different lifestyle. But, but Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 that, if you try to hold on to your life to save it, you will actually lose it. But when you lose your life and take up your cross, this instrument that produces death, this instrument that does lead to suffering, actually gives you life. Jesus picked up his cross and calls us to pick up ours too. And our second major thought is this. The cross proves that Jesus is the reigning king who you can trust. Jesus is the reigning king who you can trust. And it's funny, I don't know if it's funny in the crucifixion, but it's funny as I was just looking at Pilate. Pilate um, has the power to condemn or set Jesus free. And Pilate comes to Jesus and says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, did they tell you this or, did, or, or are you coming up with this on your own? And he comes back out to, to these Jewish men wanting to crucify Jesus and says, I find no fault with your king. And these Jewish men say, stop saying that he's not our king. And the conversation goes on and Pilate comes back out and says, do you really want me to kill your king? 
and the Jewish men say, hey, man, we keep telling you, stop calling him our king. Pilate is, is acting like that, 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 that aggravating sibling right now. When you tell them to stop calling me names, but they keep calling you names. And, and, and the Jewish men are just getting more and more worked up. And to finally get them, when they were lifted up, when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, Pilate told his men to write these words. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And not only did he say, write it, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, he said, write it in, in Latin, which was the official language of the Roman Empire, but he says, write it in Aramaic as well, which was the official language of the Jewish people. And he said, don't only write it in those two languages, also write it in Greek, which was the international language that both the Jews and the, and the Gentiles use. So right here, as we can just picture this cross on top of it, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, written in the main three languages of this day to the claim to, to the entire world who this man is right now dying on this cross. And we don't know if Pilate really believed that or if he's just being sarcastic, but I want us to see that Jesus never himself said, I'm the king of the Jews. I want us to see that he never, I, I tried to be careful because I didn't want to get up here and make this claim and then after church, one of y'all say, if you look back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, Jesus actually said it. So if you do, bear with me. But I did some study. I tried to look throughout all the gospels to see if Jesus never said that. And the only time we see Jesus, the king of the Jews, is in one other place. Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus was born, the wise man came from the east, came to King Herod and said, where is this child who was born king of the Jews? Who is the savior of the world? And I want to tell you that even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, something that, that we can just read by, it says these soldiers, men start casting lots to fulfill the scripture. If we look at that scripture, we find Psalms 22 that, that David, this prophet, is writing, foreshadowing actually the crucifixion of Jesus right now. So Jesus being the king of the Jews doesn't just mean that he is the king of this small Jewish nation. It's no, it's mean that he is the promised messianic savior who was promised long ago to be the savior, the king of this world. This is who Jesus is. And y'all... Um, I made a joke this morning to our keyboardist, Paul. Um, I told him this is his last Sunday here because he blasphemed this morning. Um, I just walked in and heard his conversation, and he said, LeBron James, weak LeBron James ain't the GOAT. And I said, this your last Sunday here, man, talking, talking like that about LeBron. But, you know, we started, you know, having barbershop talk, and we started having fun. But he said, my only problem with LeBron is that he called himself the GOAT. He said, the greatest of all time don't, don't have to say that about themselves. And real quick, I was like, I ain't say it just then, but... I walked off, and I was like, Jesus is the greatest of all time, and he didn't have to say it about himself. And Scripture actually tells us that if we ourselves don't praise God, God don't actually need you or me to declare who he is because he can make the rocks, the creation, all below to sing and shout his praises. 
The truth is, Scripture also tells us that whether you confess it and acknowledge it now, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. So whether you believe it or not, whether you feel like it or not, Jesus is who he is, the king of the world. This is who Jesus is. Y'all getting me off track. Hold on. Let me get back on track. Let me get back on track. I lost my notes. I lost my notes. He is the king who you can trust because he reigns. And I know we all have our skeptical moment, or maybe you are a skeptic right now, and, you, and you're reading this story more logically, and you're saying, hold on, how is Jesus the king and he's on the cross right now? Where is this kingdom that he spoke of? He is literally dying on the cross. There is no evidence of his kingship. There is no evidence. Actually, another thief sitting um, on the cross beside him looked at Jesus and said, if you are who you say you are, how about you save us right now? This is the great time to show that you are the king. And I want to acknowledge the fact that there are many moments in our life where we're I even myself say, dang, Jesus, are you the king? Are you really ruling in this world? It don't seem like it right now. It don't feel like you are ruling in this world right now. And I love what my pastor wrote. He said, there are times when we are called to believe not because of, but in spite of. I love that. To follow Jesus is to take up a cross, and that means that there may be moments when life circumstances contradict our claims as surely as they did for Jesus at Calvary. And I want to let our young people know that there will be times in your life where you don't, where you won't feel like Jesus is reigning. There will be times where you feel like you are on Golgotha's hill by yourself. But in these times, we believe not because everything is peaches and cream, but we believe in spite of. We believe and trust that God is who he says he is because he is the king who has already proven his love and commitment to you by taking your place on that cross. He is king in spite of what the world says. He is king in spite of that doctor report. He is king in spite of your job circumstance. He is king whether your kids act right or not. He is king whether their relationship worked out or not. He is king. And I know sometimes the crosses we carry just sometimes feel too heavy to bear. The emotional turmoil seems to describe your day-to-day -day life. So what, how does Jesus being king, how does that help us today? And this leads us to our final thought, our final major thought this morning is this. The cross lovingly invites us to bring all of our emotions, good and bad, to receive strength to endure. The cross, I said earlier, I don't want us to jump to Easter Sunday and shout and praise God because Jesus is risen. I want us to sit right here at the cross. The cross is not all bad because when we sit at the cross, it allows us to bring all of our emotions, good and bad, and find the strength to keep going. Look again at verse 25 with me. It says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary, uh, a Magdalene. 
standing by the cross of Jesus are these four women, Mary, Mary's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Three Marys and another woman that we don't know. But we also know John, the disciple that Jesus loved, is here at this scene as well. And I just, as I was studying this week, I just stopped for a moment and just thought about Mary. I thought about the, the emotions that she felt. Yes, yes, she was, um, an angel came to her and told her that your son is born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, the king of kings. Yes, but right now in this moment, her baby boy. It's down right in front of her. She's helpless. It's everything in her mother's nature to want to, to want to fight for her child, but she is helpless. She can't even recognize her child hanging up on this cross, dignity stripped from him, his clothes stripped from him. And not only is she grieving this right now, but as she grieving, she got people gambling for his clothes. The chief priests of the Jews, these religious men that she spent her entire life looking up to and admiring, they are standing beside her laughing, saying, yes, Jesus, yes. And I can only imagine the, I, I can't even begin to imagine the weight, the suffering, the emotional, mental anguish she's feeling. She's angry, she's sad, she's wore out. And not only is it Mary, but right now it's Mary's sister. This is her nephew. She is experiencing the exact same thing, but she's also torn in between trying to grieve her nephew, but also be there for her sister, to lift her sister up. And not only is that, but it's Mary Magdalene. And if you remember Mary Magdalene, she is the woman who, who Scripture tells us Jesus um, met and truly transformed her life. She was uh, possessed with many um, demons, but Jesus set her free, and she committed. She devoted her life to following Jesus. She was a true worshiper of Jesus out of, out of all of the other disciples. We see the evidence that Mary of Magdalene devoted her life to Jesus. And now in this moment, it's like her hope and life is crushed. John, Jesus' probably best friend, that the fact that he's still here and Jesus trusted John to take care of his mom. I can only begin to imagine, but the only word I want us to remember is in verse 25, standing by the cross of Jesus. Standing by the cross of Jesus. Yes, they are hurt. Yes, they are low, but it's at the cross through did they find a confident Savior who is alongside them, suffering? Remember, not only with them, but for them. It's here at this cross that can we find the strength to carry on. I'm not the prosperity preacher that say come to church and everything is going to go well in life. I'm not, I don't believe scripture teaches that, us that at all, but I do believe that in the, in the midst of suffering, we don't have to suffer in despair because we have a Savior who is with us. Um, this weekend, um, we stayed at my mother's-in-law, my mother-in-law's home, and I think we found out that her house is not conducive for two kids. Um, to, to, to sleep through the night comfortably. 
and you know, we I, I packed up little sir's pack and play. And even when I was putting him to bed in his pack and play, I knew he was gonna wake up sooner than later because it, it feels like this, right? And so he went to sleep. I went and got in bed. You know, I had my plush pillows and my and my super um, fluffy cover. And in the middle of the night, I heard him crying. And I walked in this room, and it was cold. It was chilly. He's not old enough to have a cover himself to warm himself up yet. And he's just crying. So I picked him up. I'm sleepy. My main goal is to hurry up and get him back to sleep so I can go back and get in my bed, right? And I pick him up, and I realize this boy ain't going to sleep by himself in here. So I went to the hallway um, closet, grabbed two blankets, and I laid them on the floor, and I got a pillow, and I laid him on the floor, and then I laid down on the floor with him. And y'all, we had this super sweet moment as he laid down and I laid down with him. It was, it was the lights of office, dark, but I could still see his face, and, and he just looked at me and smiled. And we were just standing up. The hell crying. And we were just staring at each other. Y'all got me crying, man. Y'all got me crying. But we were just staring at each other, smiling. And I had an epiphany. I in this moment I thought to myself, I'm the like, I'm delighting to be here with my son right now on this floor. Yes, this yes, I'm tr I'm still trying to get back to my bed. <laughs> Yes, this floor is not comfortable, but I'm delighting in a small way to suffer with my son. And my son was able to find peace and rest because his dad was with him. And as I was laying here looking at my son, I just began to think about the fact that I believe it delighted Jesus to be on that cross. Suffering for, for you and me. That Jesus being on the cross means that he was the that he was the sacrificial atonement. It means that means that he took our place, meaning that Jesus says, I'm gonna suffer for you so you don't have to suffer. I'm gonna suffer for you. So I'm, I'm gonna pay the price for you, LG, because you don't got the um, money to, to pay for it yourself. It delighted Jesus to suffer for you. Because he, what, loves you. We know what John 3, 16 say, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But as I was sitting here with my son thinking about this, I started thinking about that verse. And, and I remember thinking that verse could also read, God so loved you, Bree, that he gave his only son. God so loved you, the son, that he gave his only son. We know in, I think, Luke 15, that Jesus says that he is the shepherd who would leave 99 good sheep just to save that one. And I would bet that if, if Jesus was to go through all this knowing that he would only save you, he would still, it would still be his delight, his pleasure to die, to suffer only for the one. He loves you. This it's the presence, the comfort of a God who sees you in your, in your midst right now. He knows the, the, the uncertainty of life that, that you are facing, hell face or will face. And he says, guess what? Look to me. The cross is my commitment. It's my receipt that you can always look back to and find comfort. 
on, on August 9, 1942, an American Navy ship was attacked and destroyed. And that's over 200 Navy men passed away on this ship. And one survivor, a man by the name of Elgin Staples, told his account later on in life. He says he was taking a nap at the bottom of the ship, and he heard this loud explosion, which, which jolted him to his feet. And he began to run, but as he ran, he, he passed by an inflatable life jacket, and he grabbed it, put it on, and inflated it. And he said that that was the best decision he ever made in his life without even thinking about it because before he knew it, another explosion went off in the ship and it launched him off the boat and actually knocked him unconscious. And when he came to, he was in the ocean all by himself, caught by this life jacket. He was stuck, of course. He was scared, of course. And in and, a and far distance, he thought was the enemy ship because bullets kept, kept coming at him. Bullets kept, was kept being shot at him, but he later realized that it wasn't an enemy ship. It was actually the ship he just got um, um, bolted from, and they was actually shooting around him to protect him from the sharks trying to get him. He was kept by this life jacket in the ocean, cold water for four hours until the ship, by its just natural drift, was able to get close enough to pull him back in. And, 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 and as he got back on board, he kept that life jacket on. And the ship was beyond um, fixable. It was beyond repairable. And it began to take on more water. And the ship began to go down. And Eldrin Staples said he did not want to jump back in the water, but he had to. But he still had on that life jacket. And 200 men died, and, 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 and now there are a number of Navy men in this open water just waiting. And, and the good news is that another friendly boat came up, and yes, they were saved. And when he finally got saved, he took off that life jacket, and he looked at it, and it said, it said, Cleveland, Ohio, made in Cleveland, Ohio, at the Firestone Tire and Robbery Company. And he said, oh, this life jacket was made in my hometown at that new plant that opened right before I left for war. So he got home, and he was sitting in his living room, in his mother's living room, and he finally was, had the peace and the, and the comfort to tell his mom his survival story. And he said, Mom, guess what? That, that life jacket that saved me, that, that kept me, that, 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 that brought me home was actually made in this home, was actually made in our city. It was actually made at the fire um, uh, um, tire company that just opened. And the mom said, Son, um, I, I don't think I had time to tell you, but I started a job working at the Firestone Company right before you left. And I forgot to tell y'all another detail about this life jacket. At the bottom of the life jacket was a number. And the mom said, will you let me see that life jacket? And she looked at it and she observed it and she looked at that number and tears just began to come down her eye. And she said, son, I am one of three inspectors and we have to inspect everything that leaves this factory and we have to stamp our inspector number on everything. 
And with a quiet whisper, she could barely get it out. She said, son, this is my number. I inspected this life jacket. And Elgin and his mother just grabbed each other, and they began to hug and just cry in this living room floor. And what I love about that story is that the woman who created him, when in his time of trouble, was the same one who saved him. And the woman who created him, who gave him life and in, in her own way saved him with this life jacket, not only saved him, but sustained him in his times of trouble. And not only sustained him, but delivered him until he got all the way home. And for the rest of his life, you can only imagine that Elgin kept this life jacket as a sign to go back to and remember the saving, sustaining, delivering grace and love of, of his mom. And I want to tell you today, church, that Jesus and his cross is just that. Jesus and his cross is the sign that we are to look to. And remember that God is the one who, who formed us in our mother's womb, creating us, giving us life. And he is the one who on that cross died to save you. But not only is he the savior of this world, but he is the one who sustained us in our day by day, keeping us through life trouble, keeping us as the bullets of life come around us. He is the one who has promised. I know we're not Easter yet. I, I know we're not at the, um, um, at the empty tomb yet. But he is the one who has already promised you that I will deliver you home so you don't have to shout on Easter Sunday. You can shout right now looking at the cross. You can shout right now in your moments of suffering, not because the suffering is good, but because you know how the story going to end. You got the cross telling you that Jesus is the one who is keeping you, sustaining you, and will deliver you until we come to our place called home. It was at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was by faith that I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your commitment. Lord, we thank you as we sung in a, a, a lyric we just sung is that your power will never lose. Um, your, your love will never lose its power, God. You are the reigning eternal king. And I pray for all of us now, Lord, that we trust in you in spite of and not because of, God. But I do pray for our hearts, Lord, as we may be um, anxious, as we may be um, um, fighting fear. I do pray, Lord, that your peace which transcends all understanding, God, our hearts and our mind, and allow us to find a rest and comfort in you. I pray this prayer, and all of God's people say together, amen. Amen, amen. Give it up for our praise team. Amen, amen. Receive the Lord's blessing over your life from Romans chapter 8. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am assured that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go in peace downtown and be blessed. Say good job.